Up next, we preview an amazing Milrose Games, and it's not too late to be there in person. Come on, what are you waiting for? Go to milrosegames.org to get tickets, link in the show notes. And if January's got you down, pick up your running with Drink Element, drinklmnt.com slash let's run to get electrolytes without the junk. You don't need sugar in your electrolytes. You don't need artificial flavors. This stuff is great. I love it. I'll refund your $5 shipping if you don't like it. Get a free sample pack. Six different flavors. Try it out today. Drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. It is Milrose Week, and Let's Run.com will have boots on the ground at the Armory for what is going to be an incredible meet on Saturday afternoon. A thing Mo against Ellie Paria St. Pierre in the Wanamaker Mile, Cole Hawker, Cooper Tier, and Connor Mance in the men's 3K, Donovan Brazier in the 400, Trayvon Bromel, Noah Lyles, Christian Coleman. Ronnie Baker in a star-studded 60 meters. It's going to be an incredible meet. We'll preview it all today. And we've also got an incredible high school record in the boys' 600 meters, where the record was broken by two seconds. Break down that performance. And there was a school record in the mile by Nico Young for Northern Arizona University, or was there? We'll get into that as well. This is Jonathan Galt. I am joined by my co-hosts, the co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robert Johnson, Weldon Johnson. Johnson Brothers, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jonathan. So honored to be here. I wasn't sure I would be allowed to be here. I thought you might try to preemptively cancel me. I have labeled myself as the most interesting voice in track and field journalism, and I think that's true to the case, but you seemed a little miffed, John, to learn that I may be the only triple vax person in the world that over the weekend went to babysit my friend's two children so she could attend the Stop the Mandate rally in Washington, D.C. I'm not going to cancel you, Robert. I do think that's kind of strange. Your friend's behavior is very strange, but I will cancel this segment. We have the greatest meet of the year so far, the Milrose Games, to talk about. And you choose to open the show talking about your babysitting exploits for a COVID denier. I mean, it's just, or vaccine denier, whatever. I'd just rather talk about running. How about you, Weldon? Agreed, John. Well, Robert's out doing who knows what. You and I are talking to the top coaches in the world. Robert used to aspire to be one of those. We talked to the Brooks Beast, Danny Mackey, yesterday. Video of that will be up for everybody. Supporters Club members, it'll drop in your podcast feed probably by the time you hear this. With some highlights from that talk, interesting things on whether the coach makes the athlete or the athlete makes the coach. And could Josh Kerr break the world record in the 1500 meters? That will be coming on today's podcast. Yeah, guys, it's just too painful for me when y'all interview the pro coaches. They have my dream job. So I have to boycott, but. I know. I've heard two of the clips that Walden's going to share later. I have a favorite new coach. Danny, MF Mackey, you're my boy. 
This clip is amazing that Weldon's going to share. Can't wait for that. Yeah, I guess Danny did. He's 41 years old, so he passes the Robert Johnson test. If you're under 40 years old and really successful, Robert won't root for you out of principle, but Danny's now in his 40s, so it's okay by Robert. John, you talked about boots on the ground in Milrose. We'll have four boots on the ground in Milrose, and we actually may be wearing boots because there's a thread here in Let'sRun.com. Will Milrose be canceled? And they're like, Magao, click on it. And they're like, not for the reason you expect COVID. Meet 100% it's going on because of COVID. But a big snowstorm is supposed to hit New York City. John, in the history of the Milrose Games, it's been canceled one time. I think we put, we went on during the wars. COVID took it out last year. If a damn snowstorm cancels this meet, New York has lost its soul. They have a new mayor. He can keep the streets clean. Uh, I'm putting this at like, what, 0%? No, they're not going to cancel Milrose because of a snowstorm. I mean, look, the people, the athletes usually stay around Central Park. They can get on a subway train up to the armory and pop out right in front of the armory. And guess what? The subway doesn't get canceled due to snow because it's underground. So they're already going to be in New York when the storm hits on Friday. The only worry I have is my train to New York from Boston leaves on Saturday morning. So if the snow, which that train goes above ground, and I remember, I think it was 2018, some people had the the train back from the armory to from New York to Boston. They were on the train for hours. It was super delayed because of a huge snowstorm. So that's my one worry is I might not get there on time, but I know the athletes will. I'm confident the meet will still go forward. This could be a first. I'm pulling up Dark Sky for an indoor track meet. This is so showing only a 50% chance of precipitation on Saturday. I think we're good to go, John. But if the train wipes your journey down, I'm on the same train line into the city. And then probably driving would be even worse. Uh-oh. Well, we'll cover it somehow, some way. It'll happen. Should we get to the preview, gentlemen? There are a lot of events to cover here. I think it's time to break them down. Should we start men's 60 meters? I mean, you look at this field. Th- this this might be the single greatest... R- actually, scratch that. Might be. This is the, the best race in terms of talent of the entire meet. The men's 60 meters. You have Noah Lyles, the reigning world champion of the 200 meters. Trayvon Bromel, the reigning indoor world champion. Well, actually, sorry, not reigning. 2016 indoor world champion. He's the reigning US champion in the 100 meters. Christian Coleman... World record holder, indoor world champion in this event. And Ronnie Baker, who's the third fastest man in history at 6.40. Oh, yeah. And then just, you know, for shits and giggles, Omar McLeod, an Olympic champion in the 110-meter hurdles. And Marvin Bracey, 2016 Olympian. So this field is totally stacked. And it could be better than the world championship final, honestly, because... A maximum of three Americans are going to be able to run that final in Belgrade in March. So I'm really pumped. I'm leading Coleman here. He's he hasn't he's only raced once since February of 2020, but this is his best event, even better than the hundred meters. He's the world record holder. He's still in his prime at 25 years old. I expect him to come out here and win. I think you're right. Imagine if, like, track and field was as popular as the NFL, how big this would be. I mean, Christian Coleman, the reigning 
100 meter world champion, missed the Olympics. He's back. I'm looking up his stats at 60, John. Until a stop ship results database that we have. I don't think he's lost a 60 meter race at all since March 12th of 2016. He was third in the NCA. It's interesting. He didn't run indoors at all in 2019. What happened? That was actually the year he won the world outdoor title. Coincidence or was he injured? Anybody know? I think it was just his first year as a pro and he didn't really need to run it. Uh, but well, it wasn't, sorry, it wasn't his first year as a pro. He had won the, you know, his 2017 time pro in 2017 and then 2018, he was really good. But remember he won the diamond league in 2018 in the hundred. And then it was a late world championships. He maybe just figured, you know, I don't need to be running into a track this year. But if you look on the all time list, he has the three fastest times in history in this event, 634, 637, and 637. He has an incredible start. Like you said, Robert, he hasn't lost a race in this distance for almost six years. Like Noah Lyles, okay, as great as Noah Lyles is, he's not a 60-meter runner. He's not going to be beating these guys. Bromel was the world champion in 2016, but I think he's just more of a 100 guy than a 60. Like He's a good 60 runner, but he's not like one of the best. He's not the best ever like Coleman. You could argue Coleman's either the GOAT or close to it in the men's 60. I think Baker is normally the guy I would think, you know, he made his bones as a 60-meter specialist. He's a two-time NCAA 60-meter champion. I'm guessing 2016, if it was 2016 NCAAs, Robert, Ronnie Baker won that race. He was the last man to defeat Coleman in the 60 meters. So none of those guys, Coleman's the only one who's raced this year, and it was a 300. So no one really knows where they're at. Sometimes these guys just show up to Milrose. You know, you get on national TV, you get a nice appearance fee, I assume. Like, they might just be training through it. But it's a world indoor year. I, I expect Coleman, at least, will be trying to make the world indoor team and defend his title. Baker probably as well. So I bet they're in pretty decent shape. But I, I think it has to be Coleman. There's just so many interesting storylines. Like, I'm really into all of these. I want to see Coleman get back to his old level, sort of. Like, while I don't condone doping or missing tests, I respect people that serve their punishment and then come back. Like, that's hard to do. And I want to see him get back. I want to see if Trayvon Bromel, he was amazing last year until he got to the Olympics, and then what happened? But if he could become the top sprinter in the world, that would be an amazing story. And then Noah Lyles, I know, John, you keep talking about the 200. He ran at pre after the Olympics, but... I'm sorry, man. Something was off last year. Like, is he going to get back to that form? He was sluggish all season, and it started indoors. And I was told, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He's just training through. Training's going great. Every race, when everything was subpar after subpar race after subpar race, just a little bit off, I told everything was fine until we got to the Olympics, and it wasn't fine. So I want to see something good from him, you know? like. Was it the fact that he was on those antidepressant medicines? Was that making him sluggish? Or have we started to see a decline in him? And Ronnie Baker, it's kind of weird. I mean, he might win this race because he's so good at the 60, but I kind of view him the way I would have viewed Akira D'Amato 
a few months ago in terms of distance running, like, yeah, decent person, but what are they ever going to do of consequence? Like, what's Ronnie really ever going to do? He's not as good as these other guys, and I realized he was fifth in the damn Olympics. And he did run 9.83 in the Olympic semifinal. He just run that in the final. He would have... Well, he would have got the silver. Actually beat the Olympic champion in the semifinal, right? I will tell you this, Robert. After the semifinal, I thought to myself, Ronnie Baker is going to win the Olympics. I thought it was pretty crazy, but I looked at all the people he beat. Marcel Jacobs in a semi, like you said. Again, Marcel Jacobs was a time, he needed a time qualifier to make the Olympic final. It's pretty like that story again is, is insane. But I thought Baker was the most consistent guy and I thought he would win the Olympic final. He didn't, but yeah, he's really good. There was good reason to. So for those of you who don't remember what happened on August 1st, August 2nd, that was one of the August dates. August 1st of 2021. Good reason to think that, John, because in the semifinal, he equaled the fastest time. He was second in his heat, but they both ran 9.83 with Su Bingtian of China. Am I allowed to say it like that? I apologize if that gets me canceled. But the reaction time, he runs 9.83 with a 0.19 reaction time. Bingtian ran it with a 0.142. So... I mean, if you equalize the, the start time, I mean, those are both quite slow reaction times, particularly the 0.19. I mean, that's basically a 9.79, 9.78. It's weird for Baker because he's normally a good starter. Robert threw it out there as Noah Lyles in the decline. He's 24 years old. Okay, well then, but he ra- so he ran his personal best when he was what, 22? Is that really that crazy for a sprinter? When did Usain Bolt run his personal best? Right around that age, right? Like, you know, d- d- being declined, like, he, he could still run 19.51, and technically he's not as fast as he was at his best, but he's still one of the best in history. Like, I don't know, but I think it's a, it's, you could ask, will he have a PR again in 200? But I don't, you know, I don't think he's, he still medaled in the Olympics last year. But a medal is a downgrade from, first in 2019 what i'm interested in what do you think the reception will be for coleman do you think it'll just be everyone positive and cheering are there going to be some haters out there how do you think he'll be or will it just be the same as if you know he wasn't coming back from a ban how do you think he'll be received i think it'll be the same as if he wasn't coming as big from a ban i don't think he's moved the needle enough i don't think he's hated enough It's, it's nothing it's going to be nothing like the justin gatlin thing i mean he missed three tests it kind of wasn't wasn't like he won the Olympics and then was banned from the sport like like Gatlin. Well, and even like even Gatlin, most American meets he gets cheered. It would be overwhelmingly positive for Justin Gatlin when I would go to meets in America. You might have a smattering of boos, but most people here Olympic champion and they cheer for him. So, I kind of agree with you, Robert. I, I think it'll be a pretty positive reception. I don't think people will be booing him because of this whereabouts failure when he didn't test positive. For the record. Usain Bolt ran his 100-meter PB at the age of 22. He ran his 200 PB at the age of 23. Those actually both came at the same week. He turned 23 in the middle of the 2009 Worlds. And there's also another guy by the name of Johan Blake. And I know he did have some injury problems, but his 100-meter PB came at the age of 22 
and his 200 PB, that damn 19.26, came at the age of 21. Let's sprint.com. I've always thought, why don't I create a homepage for the sprinters? Let's sprint.com. Let's throw.com. Okay, well, our sprint fans got about 15 minutes of sprint talk there, so that's more than we normally give them. So you're welcome, everyone, if you're tuning in for the first time. But there are other events on the count on the schedule at Milrose. I was just going to go through mostly chronological here. So that one's one of the first events of the meet. The broadcast on NBC starts at 230. That's at 250. So they're really putting the distance for events at the loss. I feel like it's kind of surprising, but the want to make a mile is always lost. So that makes sense. But yeah, you got to tune in early. You don't want to miss that 60. Men's 800. There's no Donovan Brazier. He's decided to do the 400 meters. So his annual American record at Milrose will not take place this year. But this is still a really good field. You've got Bryce Hopple, U.S. Olympian. Michael Saruni. Now remember, Saruni won the Kenyan trials last year in the 800. And his last appearance, well, sorry, when he ran at Milrose in 2019, he ran 143.98, which is the third fastest indoor 800 of all time. And he beat Donovan Brazier in that race. So this guy's a big-time talent. you got to remember that. He's running. Isaiah Jewett, U.S. Olympian. This is his first race since his fall in the Olympic semis. He's in here. Tonatio Lopez, the Mexican Olympian who had a great season last year. He's now sponsored by Hoka. And Charlie Hunter, who's the reigning NCAA indoor champion, now running for Pete Julian's Union Athletics Club. So who you guys pick? Oh, and Isaiah Harris. I didn't even notice that. Isaiah Harris... Brooks Beast is also running. He was fourth in the Olympic trials last year. Who you guys got on this one? I expect it might go fast because we know that Isaiah Jewett is a front runner. He likes to take the race out. Jewett just signed with Nike as well, John. This is easy for me. It's hard to know when guys haven't raced, but we have the winner of the Kenyan Olympic trials. The same man, when he raced Milrose in 2019, destroyed Donovan Brazier. So... When he's on his game, there's very few people in the world that can beat him. Going with Michael Cerrone. I knew Robert would pick Cerrone. He, he's always had a thing for Michael Cerrone, and that doesn't totally surprise me. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Cerrone won at all, but these is, this is one of these where like basically these guys, have been, none of them have really raced very much this year. We don't know what to expect. I can't, I'm really going to be watching Bryce Hopple closely because, remember, he was fourth at the World Championships in 2019. He had that huge year. Then the next year, he goes to Europe and he finishes right behind Donovan Brazier in Monaco and ran 143 in that race. I'm like, oh my God, this guy just keeps getting better and better. He's run 143.23 for 800 outdoors. And then last year, he's banged up, but he still made it to the Olympics. If he's 100% healthy, he's the kind of guy I can see just sitting on Jewett or Saruni and then spring past them on the final turn. So if he's healthy, I think Bryce Hopple might be my pick in this race. But it's an indoor 800. You've got a lot of talented guys. These things can kind of be a crapshoot. It's very crowded. You've got 10 people in this race. So positioning is always important. Yeah, I'm, I'm picking Hopple, assuming he's 
back to full fitness. John, you said you knew I would pick Cerrone because I'm into him. I'm just into the anti- I'm not into the American bias. I'm into def- promoting the entire globe. I'm the most woke guy, despite being accused of being far right of anyone in the world. Like, I kind of remember this time last year when everyone was handing that gold medal to Donovan Brazier. I am almost certain on this one of these podcasts, I said, have we forgotten the fact that there's a man by the name who is also an NCAA champion? Who's the sixth fastest man in history, a man by the name of Emmanuel Career? That doesn't I'm sound pretty... like something you'd say. No, I, I assumed you'd be saying Nigel Amos, who never comes through the championships, but runs really fast in Monaco every year. He, you, you've been banging the drum for him. No, Robert's, well, right. look, his... I just, I, I, bang, I bang the drum on talent. And when I was coaching in college, I always said, I'm not recruiting times, I'm recruiting talent. But when you're at the pro ranks, come on, the times show you the talent. So... Well, Robert, I think more broadly, your philosophy here, what I like, when you see a guy come over from Kenya and have success at the NCAA, your main theory is if you put Kenyans in American systems with American resources, they're going to beat the best Americans every time. And that's just how, that's why you said Anthony Rotich might medal in the 1500 of the world championships. And so Saruni, guess what? He's from Kenya. He had a success in the NCAA. He was the NCAA record holder. He did get beat by Isaiah Harris his senior year at NCAA Outdoors. You seem to forget that, but he trains at UTEP. So I think that's why that's your philosophy boiled down. My philosophy basically is to go out and prove the genetic inferiority of Americans to the East Africans. Yes, you're correct. Which gets me to an interesting story. John Valzian. Some call him, which I think is very... I didn't like this, but he has been called the father of Kenyan athletics. He was a British-born guy that moved over to Kenya before independence, so in the late 50s or early 60s, was their first national team coach. He's died at the age of 93 last week. And I was reading about him. I asked John Kellogg if he'd heard of him. John never really had heard, you know, he coached Kip Kano and stuff. But on the message board, there's a thread about it, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Someone said, like, yeah, he was at a meeting in England in the 50s, and he saw these Kenyans rabbiting the race. And he just, he looked at them, and he think, I think that they're genetically superior to us. I want to prove this is true. He moved over to Kenya and then never left, never came back, raised a family over there, had kids, etc. stayed over there, kept, coached Kip Kano to gold. And in the, in the 60s, this is pretty interesting. Sports Illustrated, like in 66 or something, did a big profile on him and how he was doing this. And the Kenyans thought, hey, this British white dude's getting too much credit. Kind of ruffled some feathers. So he got fired in 68. Kip Kano didn't really talk about him much. Apparently Kip Kano's form, though, declined when he wasn't coaching him. And then they panicked and brought him back to coach the Olympic team at the last minute. So if you know the details of that, email me, Robert, at Let's Run. But we'll link to this thread because it's got these great pieces from Sports Illustrated in the 1960s. Had a great impact. Also, one of the Kenyan Olympic steeplechasers from 68 died as well. Two titans of Kenyan athletics. And I love the line. They said, well, he wasn't Kenyan. Home is where the heart is. I mean, I kind of feel like it's weird. They're saying he's not Kenyan. Was, did he become a Kenyan citizen? The guy's lived there since at least 1960. 
I mean, he lived there for 60-something years. I kind of feel like he should be considered Kenyan. Well, you can be a permanent resident. Kenyan citizen? They don't do dual citizenship. We know that from Bernard Lagat, right? Maybe you did, like Johnny, you don't want to give up that British passport. As for Michael Saruni, he's run 114.79 for 600 before. He ran a 600 this past weekend. Two seconds for 116.82. So I don't know if you want to factor that in, Robert. Uh, can I take him off my pick then? He's not even as fast as the best high scorer in the country. All right. Well, do you have any pick for that event or should we move on? Michael Saruni. <laughs> okay. Following in the footsteps of Rojo. Before we end this 800 talk, since I'm getting nervous about my Saruni pick, I didn't even talk to Danny Mackey. Can I switch my pick to the Danny Mackey coach, Isaiah Harris? I swear I was going to do that myself, actually. Yes, you can keep. You can change. I'll stay the same. Because Weldon played a clip to me right before we started this podcast where Danny Mackey mentioned the name Isaiah Harris. And this might be the best quote I've heard from a coach ever. Confirms what I've been saying about coaching for a long time. And it also confirms what the great John Kellogg, Let's Run.com coaching guru, has said about coaching. It confirms it exactly, and he just walked into the office. So play the clip now, Weldon, please. Make it, we can get into the whole discussion maybe towards the end of whether the athlete makes the coach or the coach makes the athlete because athlete makes the coach. There's, there's not, not a debate. Yes. It, it, there's no debate about that. I, I, if, if I'm at my best, I'm like maybe 2%, 3% for Josh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their discussion's done. All right. That was good. That was easy. He, he's, he's like, I can help a lot, but it's that's that 3% of time, but he, he, it's his parents and the genetics and the team there's there's so many other things that go into it maybe he gets fifth but he's i I don't know maybe it yeah i i I think of that a lot like i i think i've said this before not not in a forum like this because i don't get asked it but i i will likely look like a better coach if we keep signing people like isaiah harris but i don't i don't you know maybe over time i get better but the athletes make the coach for sure there you have it when Robert was raving about which quote he loved, I wasn't even sure which one it was because we have another quote that's pretty good about Josh Kerr and the world record. I thought that was a great conversation and that clip especially I thought was one of the best things I heard from it. But I love how Robert says it's the greatest quote he's ever heard from a coach. And why is it that way? It's because it's something he personally has already said. <laughs> I just loved it because I think people overestimate what a coach does. Like when an American does well, they're like, oh, the coach did this. When some Kenyan does it, they're like, oh, it's all talent. And I'm not saying coaching doesn't matter. I coach, devoted 10 years of my life to coaching. It does matter. First of all, it was a lot easier to coach well, to, to dominate in coaching in 2002 when a lot of it was really bad because the internet hadn't gotten out there. Coaching much now is much better 20 years later. But he said 2 to 3%. And it's interesting because I just got out my Excel spreadsheet and I typed in 330 would be 210 seconds times 0.02. That's four seconds. So John Kellogg used to always say to me when I was at Cornell, I said, John, 
why can't we beat Princeton cross country? He's like, have you looked at the recruits? They've got nine sub nine guys on the team. We don't have any. I said, how much of a difference do we make? He said, at most, a good coach, can, you can outcoach someone one second per lap. So if you get a 4'10 guy, maybe you can coach, be, uh, coach a 406 guy who's got subpar coaching. And that kind of plays into what Mackey was saying. Well, John, you decide this stays in or not. Can you ask John Kellogg why he ended up being such a faster runner than you, Robert? I can, but not right now. When he always comes into the office, he always immediately goes to the bathroom and spends a long period of time in there. I don't want to ask what's going on. Although maybe, what if he says Robert was the more talented runner? In 10th grade, true story, Robert kicked my ass for a period there. But he upped the mileage, got stress fractures. It's just like the story of Icarus. Flew too close to the sun. Okay. Milrose Games. Women's 3,000 meters. We have another Michael Cerruti situation here, Robert. So if you want to make your pick right now, Makides Abebe, the Ethiopian trials champion in the steeplechase. She was fourth in the steeplechase Olympic final. Ran 9.02 for the steeple. She's running this race for some reason and not really sure why she's over here, but obviously she's really good at running. So I'm excited to see that. But you've also got the inform Alicia Monson. You've got Wayne Kaladi. Got the NCAA Outdoor 5K champion Ellie Hennis. Whitney Orton, fresh off her NCAA cross country title. Ali Buhalski of the Brooks Beast. She was fifth at the trials last year in the 5K. She's a sub 15 woman. So a lot of talent in here. I mean, I'm tend to, I'm inclined to pick Monson. She won this meet in 8.45 three years ago, back when she was at Wisconsin. She's a better runner now. We know she's in good shape. She's my pick. Do you guys see any other outcome? I see two potential other outcomes, but I think Monson's the correct pick. I think Wayne Kaladi, I think the world of her talent, but I think 3K is a little bit short for her. And Makita's a baby. I mean, hello, 20 years old. And even if that's off by a few years, 902, steeple, that's pretty darn good. But I just don't have any proof that she's in shape. So if I know that Monson's in shape, I'm not sure that this baby young woman is. On my FanDuel app, I've got to put down my $500 bet on Monson. By the way, what are the odds on that, Walton? Unfortunately, there are no odds on that. Shows how minor our sport is. You can bet on pretty much everything. But people who think betting would like be the solution to track and field, well, you can bet on a phone on anything these days in a lot of states. And they don't even bother to do track and field. And also back to the booing. If our sport was legit, they'd be booing. You know, you boo, you cheer. Instead, there's a subset of the population wants everything on the forums to be positive. Well, I do feel like individual sports, there is less booing than in team sports because team sports, you automatically have a clear enemy to root against. Individuals, everyone tries to root for everyone unless the person's like a total asshole. I'd say most of the athletes in track and field are pretty nice. Also, one other thing on this race, Robert, I know you do like betting big on the East African talent, but 
you also have an anti-steeple bias, right? And that you think, you know, if you're a stud steepler, you're not as good in the flat events. So like Makine Sabebe, that's the same personal best 902 as Emma Coburn. Would you say Emma Coburn would be the favorite in this race if she was in here? Because I would not. So do you have anything no, to I, say on that matter? That exact thought process went through my head. I thought if Coburn's in here, she went in this race. No. But if Coburn didn't run 902 when she was 20. The only reason why I doubt the age maybe is she's been running steeples since 2017. I guess that'd be 16, so she probably is 20. By the way, I just was, had muted myself and was talking to John Kellogg about the coaching and how much it's worth. It's interesting. He's saying that, I, I said that one second per lap, he, and he said that's the same amount that high mileage gives you is one second per lap. So the difference between running like 40 miles a week and just doing intervals, kind of like a Roger Bannister used to do, and actually doing modern training where you get a big base, 90 miles a week, all that mileage, all that effort, one second per lap. No, well, one second per lap, it adds up 10K, that's 25 seconds. You know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. So it's not really clear to me if the coaching is involved in the high mileage. I think he's already factoring that in. So I don't think you can get good coaching and high mileage and get two seconds per lap. I think that the good coaching kind of implies that like you're coaching somebody who's bad and is doing low mileage and a lot of intervals. Uh, okay. All right. Men's shot per, I mean, we don't, we know who's going to win. We know Ryan Crowder is going to win. The big question is, does he break the world record? Because remember, the, his first throw of 2021, he broke the world indoor record. And I just got to make sure I remember the men's shot put 3.16 p.m. That's the first round. Just got to keep your eyes on the ring when Krause is in there because anything's possible. No one's ever thrown 23 meters indoors. His PB is 22.82. It's over a meter better than anyone else in the field. So I do expect a comfortable win, but he's he always puts on a show. And unfortunately, Joe Kovacs, the Olympic silver medalist, was scheduled to compete, but he's out now. So it's basically just the Ryan Krauser show. Men's 400. Donovan Brazier here. He's the headliner. You've got Vernon Norwood and Christopher Taylor. They've both thrown the 45s. You've got Hunter Woodhull, who is a blade runner in this field as well. Now, Daniel Addison of Columbia, I don't know, he doesn't even have a PB listed, but Brazier's the headliner. He hasn't run a 400 indoors or outdoors for four years. His personal best is 46.91. I talked to his coach, Pete Julian, a couple days ago. He said, you know, they want to keep you know, he's 24 now, but they, they don't want to forget about his speed development because his speed is one of the things that makes him a great 800 meter runner. So he's like, how do you get faster? Well, you know, you got it's not like they're neglecting any workouts, but if you want to run faster than a 400, you go out and you race a 400. So he was supposed to open up last weekend at Texas A&M. And I think Pete was just a little worried. He hasn't raced, remember, since his big injury at the Olympic trials last year. So this is his return, but everything Pete told me sounds like Brazier's been looking good in practice, running normally, not any pain. His stride isn't impacted. So when one thing Donovan Brazier has shown is when he's in shape, when he's healthy, he's very hard to beat. So 
I would expect something close to 46 flat in this. It kind of depends how the race goes. If he can get good positioning. Because in the 400, if you break third or fourth, which might be an issue for him, he hasn't really used blocks before. That's the big thing for him. But if it's quick, I think he could, I'd probably guess something in the 46 range. I think he could run a PB here. I mean, what he runs to me really is important. I think he'll get beat. But I think the more important thing is, John, do you have any more insight that you can share with about the injury, him coming back, what happened there? I think I can't. We've got an article coming on the site later this week. They'll have details on it, but it wasn't good. Like he, he had an MRI before the Olympic trials last year and they found this growth on his lower left tibia and it was a bone growth. And they were basically like, look, we're going to have to address this at some point, but his doctors gave him the clearance to compete at the Olympic trials. But then after the first round, remember he ran 145 flat, he won his heat. He told Pete, you know, it was more painful, wasn't feeling great, but, you know, he, he made it out there. He made it to the semis. He made it through the final. And then going to the final, he had a conversation with Pete Julian and he told him like, yeah, I'm in pain, but I still, you know, he had made it to the final. He thought I can give it a go. I can run on it. I can run through this and make it onto the team. And obviously we saw he couldn't. His last 200 meters, he basically had no power. He faded. He was in position to make the team, and he faded all the way to last place. And after the meet, they had an MRI to check up on it, and it was a fracture of the tibia. So he was running basically on a broken leg in the trials. They didn't know if it broke in the first round or if it was fractured in the final or whatever, but he needed to have surgery. He had a pin inserted. You know, he obviously didn't race at all, but... He was rehabbing in the pool, then on the Ulta G, got back to doing some fart licks, I think by November, Pete said. And since then, he's looked good. He's looked healthy. And remember, he, he, in 2020, he had to cut his season a little short due to plantar fascia in the other foot, plantar fasciitis. So Pete was very happy with how he's been looking recently. And yeah, he wasn't making any huge predictions for this race, but he's just saying, look, he's looking like the old Donovan Brazier from when he was unbeatable. And that's a good sign for everyone. And then my other thing is Blade Runners are allowed to race versus able-bodied people indoors? You're not in your lane. It seems like that could be a safety issue. But I guess Woodall used to run for Arkansas, right? So he had run 4x4s and I guess 400s for them. Yeah, I always thought it was the... A Blade Runner and the 4x4 particularly, I'm like, this has disaster potential written all over it. But I don't ever remember hearing anything crazy happening when he was at Arkansas. So, yeah, I I hope everyone makes through it okay. But I, I had I did have the same initial thought as you, Weldon. I guess what makes it safer, though, is the fact that the Blade Runners get off to such a slow start. He won't be battling for, you know, they'll be coming way off the pace. Now, at the end, it could be an issue. But this shouldn't be that complicated. I mean, I'm like if there was lanes, it wouldn't be a problem with a for me with a Blade Runner running in a race as an exhibition. But look, we have the Paralympics for a reason. We don't let people wheelchair race at the same time. I mean, like it's a completely different sport. The Paralympics should be for the Paralympics. The wheelchairs and you know, Blade Runners with the Blade Runners, wheelchairs with wheelchairs. Men versus men, women versus women, 
trans people versus trans people. We don't need to be mixing all this. It's pretty simple. No, just just say male versus fe- male, female versus female. Problem solved. Okay, there you go. All the problems of the sport, all the big questions that people have been debating. Fixed in one minute by Robert and Weldon Johnson. Congrats, guys, on solving the sport. All right. Men's 3K. This, all right. When this first came out, I was very excited for this race. But I, I guess there was just so many NCAA champions on it. Joe Klecker was in there. Yard Nagus is in there. Neither of them are in there now. Still got some good guys. I mean, look, Cole Hawker, huge star. He's running. Connor Mance, NCAA cross-country champion. Cooper Tier. Jordy Beamish, we know he's fit. Nico Young, Drew Hunter, Wesley Kiptu, Luis Grijalva. We There's a lot of good guys in this race. But the way I see it, why isn't Cole Hawker just going to stomp everyone in the final 200 in this meet, in this race? Am I looking at it wrong? How is that not the outcome here? Wait, John, what's wrong with you? You're a goose who isn't even a 3K runner and Joe Klecker, who's a 10K runner, they're not in this field and all of a sudden it's lost your luster for you? It's got no, everybody else in it. No, I think that's unfair. But like when this field was announced, I saw all these people. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be crazy unpredictable. And then I looked at the field again yesterday. And I was like, wait, Cole Hawker's just going to crush everyone, isn't he? And I think maybe it's just I didn't. I was so blinded by all the stars. And there are still a bunch of stars like we just listed. But I just view like Cooper I think, might have the best chance. Well, actually, no. I think Jordy Beamish probably has the best chance of beating him because Jordy Beamish is an NCAA mile champion. We know he's pretty fit from the 5K he ran a few weeks ago. I think he's probably the best bet here, but this is Cole Hawker's race to lose, is it not? I think, John, this gets us back to the debate we were having last year. At this time last year, we certainly didn't expect Cole Hawker to stop Cooper Tier. Last time I checked, Cooper Tier stopped Cole Hawker in the 5,000 of the U.S. trials or at the NCAs. Yeah, because Cole Hawker was doubling back from beating Yard Nagoose in an epic 1,500 race. The last time these guys raced over 3K, Robert, Cole Hawker was tired and still stomped Cooper Tier on the last lap. And from what I understand, Cole's fitter than Cooper right now. Cooper's coming off a cross-country season and... I know he's pretty in shape then, but from everything I've heard from, I think, the new generation track videos, Cole's in better shape right now, and I already would have picked Cole because I think he's better at the 3K than Cooper. So that's why I'm going Cole Hawker. So John has inside information about their current fitness, which is the key thing in the first race this season, doesn't bother to tell us, and then finally lets Inside information? This is a public video published a month ago. Like John, Weldon and I have lives. We don't have time to watch these videos. I did watch one of these new generation track and field videos. It was Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker going for like an 8 or 10 mile run. And then they stopped in the middle and kind of chatted for the camera and then kept running. It didn't gain anything on their fitness. So my question would be, in general, how do we know that Hawker's in shape? How do we know he hasn't, what he's been doing? You know, who who's more in shape? I think is more likely to go. I mean, I know that Hawker beat Tier at NCAs when Tier was fresh and Hawker was tired. But I'm still not com- I and I know Tier been saying Hawker's the future and all this stuff, and that's probably true. Maybe Tier knows Hawker's better than him, but I still think Tier was like caught off guard in that race. He didn't expect that. He didn't expect to lose that three thousand. 
and he just couldn't turn on the Jets in time. So, caught off guard. Who cares? Like, if Cole Hawker is closing in twenty-five point or twenty-six zero, doesn't matter if you're prepared for it or not. You're not going to be able to stop it. And that's the thing with this race is, I just think he's got the best final two hundred in the field, and who's going to run fast enough to drop him? I don't see it. I'm just saying, Cooper Tier's not chopped liver. He's a thirteen twelve guy with three fifty mile speed. Maybe he doesn't have the super fast last 200. We'll see. I'm sort of shocked. Luis Grijalva has the fastest PB in this field. And wait, who did Luis Grijalva get beat by last week in the mile up in Flagstaff? Nico Young. What if Nico Young steps up in this one, John? Then it'll be full-fledged. Because I feel like Nico Young, obviously high school superstar, pretty good as a collegian, but... You know, some people still wonder if his two younger brothers are going to be better than him. This is a huge opportunity for him. I really want to see what he does here. Or well, remember the last time he raced at Milrose two years ago, he broke the high school record. He ran 756. And this is how it works in American track and field hype circles, right? Cole Hawker, he's this sexy young thing. And then we got an even younger guy, Nico Young, coming up. And if he beats him here, then Nico Young, the hype train, really goes into overdrive. And then he'll eventually get surpassed by the hype for his brothers. So that's the circle of life. But the problem is Nico Young's like a 5K, 10K guy. And well, I guess he did run three, you know, 402 mile at altitude and flag stuff. But sorry, Cole Hawk is not going to lose to Nico Young in a 3K. I just don't see it. Peak fitness for both of them, probably not. But you don't know where they are. As you said, Jordy Beamish, that guy was not a 5K runner. He dropped a 13-12 in Boston in December. So he's fit, and he's a miler. There's some other possibilities here. Beamish is the guy I'm not sleeping on. If I think anyone in this race beats Cole Hawker, I think it's him. What about Drew Hunter? Big race for him, I think, too. Drew Hunter's in this race, and we haven't mentioned his name. Oh my gosh. Drew Hunter, the only man here in the entire field who has won a U.S. indoor title at the senior level. I put an asterisk on that one, John. It was in like a B heat. I mean, that was so bizarre. He's well, also the reigning U.S. road 5K champion, Weldon. I mean, he's, he, he runs well in New York. This is a big race for Drew. And this was a big race for the Danny Mackey statement. Does the coach make the athlete or does the athlete make the coach? Everyone thinks, oh, Drew had to get rid of Tim and he was holding him back. I said, oh, we'll see what happens when he goes to his mom. Does he get much better? I don't think he is. Be happy to be proven wrong in that because, uh, you know, I always say talent doesn't go away, but I think there may be structural issues, bone density issues. I don't know. Seems like this guy's always getting hurt and stuff. I was always getting hurt. Although, Eventually, I got rid of my stress fractures, so maybe that changes with time. But why aren't we talking about Nico Young more? This guy just broke the Northern Arizona University school record in the mile. This guy's a 5K, 10K guy, and he, according to NAU, he just ran a 354.07 mile of a school record. This is the future. He's 19. We have a 354 indoor miler. Races all the time. This guy runs cross country, runs a 5K, runs a mile. By the way, do people take time off anymore? Apparently not. People just train through. I, I don't get it. Like I used to run cross country, 
that had my guys get a base, and it was really hard to be doing anything by the beginning of February. These guys are banging out Milrow, so I'm really interested to see what he can do here. But I was kidding about that 354. He ran 402 at altitude. He's a very strong runner. He hangs on. That equates to 354. I'm fine if he wants to use that NCAs, run the mile NCAs, work on his speed. But NAU, shame on you. You don't call that a school record. You don't call a converted altitude time a school record. That's ridiculous. Call it the Flagstaff record, the altitude record. You can keep those separate on the board there, but it's not a school record. Come on, people. Robert, I totally agree with you. I'm going to take credit for that rant because I was the one who noticed it and put it in the week that was. And yeah, Jordy Beamish has run a 356 mile for NAU. That's the fastest time an NAU athlete has ever run in the mile. That's the school record. You don't get to use conversions. The whole point of a record is the fastest time you don't use conversions. So Robert is correct. But 402, it's faster than I thought he was going to run. I mean, three, those altitude conversions are usually pretty legit. So that's more speed than I thought he had. It's crazy they call this a school record. I mean, does any other school in America do this? Just makes no sense. But I'm pumped for this race. Unlike John, there's a lot of things. Hunter, Nico, how does he look? I feel bad for Nico. He's lost so much money during the pandemic just because his brothers have risen up stealing the luster. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, folks. We didn't mention Col- Coop, uh, sorry, Connor Mance either. All these guys, the NCAA guys, Cooper, Connor, and Cole. I mean, it's a 3K, and this is a guy who just ran you know, in the 60s for a half marathon a month ago. But, I mean, Connor Mance, I, I like watching that guy race. I'm glad he's in the race. Former podcast guest. It's good to talk with him. But, John, come on, he's a 10K runner. You think his door's just crushed in this thing? Glad to see him working on his speed. But again, it's amazing. These guys don't take time off. I shouldn't complain because it's good for Let's Run to have people running races, but I like to back off and get my big base twice a year and peak six months apart. Alberto Salazar's guys and gals raced a lot. I think they showed there's a way to do it. Yes, everyone should be emulating the NOP way when it comes to track and field, right, Weldon? Just throwing it out there, John. When you get those massages late at night from the coach and not the masseuse. Back to Nico Young in the mile. I just don't put, it's a good run, but I don't put too much stock in an altitude conversion. I want to see what he does in this 3K. He's ready to go. The conversion looks great, but he beats a guy named Nate Osterstock. No offense to Nate, senior at Southern Utah. By 2.1 seconds. Now, he did beat him by two seconds, but if Nate Osterstock is in this field, we're like, oh my gosh, look out for him. Well, yeah, I tried to tell you guys, Cole Hawker, but you guys are trying to hype up everyone else. All right. One guy who's not in this race was initially on the start line and is in great form as Jared Neguse of Notre Dame, the man that I predicted would be on the Olympic team. When no one else did, and he made it. This guy ran 354, actually, in the mile at Notre Dame last week. So he's in great shape. But I think he's... I kind of like this move, to be honest. Notre Dame coaching staff is always... They're never abusing Nagus. Some people are like, why is he back at Notre Dame this year? 
I assume the contract offers weren't good. Kessler got a ton of money. These other guys needed money. This guy wants, I assume, guaranteed seven figures over the course of his contract, and he deserves it. Do you listen to what these athletes say, Robert? He wanted to come back and win the NCAA team title in cross country. Like, you're just thinking, oh, he's holding out for a million-dollar contract? I mean, I'm sure if he got a huge amount, he would have turned pro, but he wanted to come back, and he likes running at Notre Dame. He wanted to come back and win NCAA cross with his teammates. Last time I checked, John, cross-country season's over, so this is track season. Okay. Well, I guess he, yeah, I guess Cooper Tia did turn pro after cross-country, but I don't know. I guess we'll need to ask him. That's a, that's a fair point, but I... I don't think it's like, oh, he's just doing it for the money. He very much likes running at Notre Dame. They have a very close team culture there. I don't blame him if he wants to do one more season, and he's basically king of the NCAA right now. You know, Who's going to touch him in the mile of 1500 this year? You're taking as a negative. I think it's great that he's staying in college. I said all else be, being equal. If I, if I was Hobbs Kesslerson, I'd tell him to run in college. I think it's a wonderful experience. Like I, I, I don't... I mean... I wasn't viewing it as a negative. I think it's great. I think he deserves a lot of money. I think these other kids got a lot, and he comes in, dominates. You know, like imagine if he becomes the man at NCAs. So let's say he goes and runs a collegiate record in a 3K and then goes to the NCAs and just crushes everybody in the mile and, or runs, wins the 3K in the DMR or whatever he wants to do and then crushes the NCAA outdoor. He's going to be a hot commodity. Last year, he wasn't the hot commodity that he could be there. So I hope that he gets it. Um, but I'm just pointing out that he's in good shape and he was in the field and now he's not. So I think that's smart, though. They're not... Um, Coach Carlson is always taking it cautiously with him. He's a big talent. Maybe sometimes a little bit too cautious. Like, I mean, I think it's the right call. Health-wise, you don't want to have a long-term hamstring issue, but couldn't this guy have just... Well, I guess people would have complained to be jolly the Olympics. And that gets me to my question. We've asked him, is he an Olympian? He told us, John NCAs, yes, I'm an Olympian. But someone pointed out, you know, Nagus was listed as a Milrose entrance. Now he's not. So should we consider him a 2022 Milrose 3000 meter or Milrose participant? I did think that was a funny joke, but at the same time, First of all, I consider him an Olympian. He made the freaking team, a really hard team to make. He made it out to Tokyo. I don't, th- and I, the vitriol in that thread beyond that opening joke is just ridiculous. People are bashing him. They're like, what was he doing? He stole a spot from Engels. Like, he should never have done that. Like, no, when you make the Olympics, you earn the right to do what you want with that spot. And if there was even a chance that he thought he could start the race, when he was in Japan, which there definitely was because he was running. He just couldn't like sprint. It's your prerogative to go out there and try to make, try to run the race. And then when you realize you can't, and I might actually do damage to myself if I'm trying to sprint on it, it's also your prerogative to scratch, scratch the last minute. So I don't have an issue with what he did. I think the vitriol towards him as a college kid is absurd. And yeah, he's not running Milrose. I asked coach Carlson why he basically said, you know, they're focusing on NCAA indoors. That's the big meet for them this year. And they also don't want to travel a ton. You know, if they were going out to Milrose, it would just be Yared. And COVID cases are going up in South Bend. They're just trying to limit their travel. 
uh, during the regular season. Well, I just want to congratulate you and Robert for being Olympians last year. You guys made it to Tokyo. You didn't get to compete, but this just makes it clear. He's not an Olympian. He made the Olympic team, but he's not an Olympian. Wow. Stra- I disagree. I disagree as well. First of all, I consider myself to be an Olympic journalist, even though I didn't go to Rio. I had a press credential for <laughs> Rio. Zika kept me out because I wanted to start a family. I covered remotely. But uh, I love, by the way, ch- tip of the cap to Harvard of the Tropics, the poster who said, but he will forever be a Milrose participant because he was listed as an entrance. The difference is he's not going to show up on the Milrose start line as a DNS. He did show up on the Olympic start line as DNS. He could have been out there warming up. And this whole angle stuff didn't work. That's what initially bothered me. But look, he thought he was healthy enough that he was going to be able to run. He wanted to try to run. He was there. They couldn't replace Ingles. It was a game time decision. I can't do it. So if he pulls out two weeks before and Ingles gets to run, is he an Olympian, John? Oh, in that case, that case, you might say no. I mean, that's a little different. I don't know. I'd have to think I think about he's an Olympic one. team member. He's not an Olympic. This is really That's why I should have, he, should, he, he should have just taken one step and then gotten off. Then we could have said he's an Olympian, but then I think the vitriol would be even worse. He's listed as a DNS. I think, I'm, I, think I maybe have to go back a bit. Yeah, yeah. You know what's right. You know in your heart, well, then he's an Olympian. But two weeks out, nope, sorry. Like Drew Hunter. Was Drew, is Drew Hunter a world championship team member in 2019? He made the team, but he scratched before and he was replaced by Ben True. Is he a world championship team member? No, but he could have been. And they're doing the right thing, so we need to reward them. Drew Hunter did the right thing. He could have just gone to Doha and walked across the start line. All right. I don't know how we got on this tangent, but there are other meets to, races to discuss this meet. All right, women's 400, you have the same situation as the men. You got Raven Rogers instead of Donovan Brazier stepping in to run it. She's run more 400s in her career. I remember, she was a 4 by 4 stud at Oregon, but she's also up against Wadley Jonathan, who's a U.S. Olympian in the 400 meters. I'm, you know, I'm excited to see what Raven does here. She hasn't run a 400 indoors since 2018. She ran 52-24 there. Coming off a great season, well, great end to the season. Her start of the season was kind of rocky in 2021, but she ended very well with the personal best to get an Olympic bronze medal. But yeah, she's in this race. I don't know if there's much more to say about it than that. And then we get to the the miles. We got the women's mile. Now this this is going to be one of the marquee events of the meet. Correction, John. The whoop wanna make her mile. Ah, uh, yes. Sorry. Whoop. Got to get, you know, make sure, you know, well, they're putting money, they're sponsoring it. I'd rather this, it's good that there is money getting into this. Someone's putting money into this event. So yeah. the wh- Where's the money coming from Milrose, by the way, guys? It used to be the NYRR Milrose games. I think that deal's done. So I'm wondering where they're getting the money to pay these pros. Does anybody know? I don't. It's a good question, Robert. I mean, each a lot of these events, I mean, some of these other events have sponsors. It was the Dr. Sander Men's 3000 Meters. I guess that's a, more of a memorial thing. But, yeah, that's a good question. Maybe we'll have to talk to some people at the post-race party at Melrose and get the indoor scoop. 
But I'm really excited for this race. Ellie Paria St. Pierre, the reigning US champion. Remember the last time she ran this meet, she set the American record of 416.85. The other two US Olympians, Heather McLean and Corey McGee, are both in here. Shannon Osika, who ran four flat. She's in here. Jessica Hall, 358 woman from Australia. She's running. Sage Harder, the NCAA indoor champion. Josette Norris, who was third in the Diamond League final last year. Let's repeat. Josette Norris, who was third in the Diamond League final. She's running here. Anna Camp Bennett, the NCAA outdoor 1500 champ. And then, of course, the Olympic 800 meter champion, Othing Mo. So, really great race. I talked to Mark Coogan a couple of days ago. He said Ellie Purrier and Heather McLean are really fit right now. He said, you know, he thinks Ellie's about the same kind of shape that she was two years ago when she ran 416 here. He said Heather's in the best shape he's ever seen her, better than last year when she made the Olympics. And they ran a time trial recently over 1,000 meters. And he didn't want to give me the exact time because he didn't want to sort of put too much pressure on them. But he said that they both ran faster than anyone in the world ran last year for 1,000 meters. And the fastest time in the world was 234. So both of them were faster than that. So I think they're really fit. I think with Constance Klosterhalfen, who's a former Wanna Make a Mile champion in here, it's going to go fast. There's so much talent in here. Someone's going to make it fast. I think that's a big problem for a thing, Mo, because I just don't see how she's competitive in a race that's one in 420 or faster. But I think we can see some fast times. We're going to see a thing Mo will bring extra eyeballs to this race. It's going to be really exciting. I was afraid John wasn't going to mention the name Klosterhalfen. She has run 417 in the mile, which is 357. This is an amazing field. You know, we're getting, we have the stars up front, but then we're getting the hypothetical that we devoted a whole podcast to a few weeks ago of, you know, it might have been last week. Someone said, if I think Mo ran the mile, she could dominate the world. And I had the argument, no, she cannot. This is such a huge step up in class. I mean, her PB is 437. These women are going to be running 420. Like, is she going to be embarrassed in this race? Is what I'm wondering. Well, I mean, it depends on your definition of embarrassed. I think she could get smoked in this race, but I don't expect her to be as good as Ellie Purrier in a 1500. Again, we had this we, in this discussion, there are 400, 800 runners and there are 800 and 1500 runners. The only one who's really been able to excel at all of them is Casta Semenya. I mean, a thing most, she's the reigning NCAA champion and the NCAA record holder in the 400 meters outdoors. How often does that person ever run the want to make a mile? It doesn't happen. So her skill set, I don't think it's conducive to being a great mile. She did run 437 last week. She made it look pretty easy. So I think she can go a good deal faster than that, but once you start getting into the low 420s, that's miler territory, and she's not a miler. I mean, it's crazy, John, she's doing that. I mean, can you imagine, like, like a sign of Richards Ross going to be on the broadcast if she ran a mile? Like, well, think how slow you'd expect her to run. We've been doing the Let's Run.com poll of the day, and how fast will a thing Mo run at Melrose? 15% say over 430, 11% under 420, but most people are coming down. 49% of you guys, 
between 425 and 429. If she runs that, she'll get beat by over 10 seconds probably because Ellie Pierre, if she's going to break an American record, that's 416.85. Klosterhoven's run 417, so expect something in there. This is just so amazing, though. I mean, we're getting the hypothetical answered. But asking John Kellogg, he said 430 plus or minus three seconds. It's like, remember, she ran 49 seconds, 400. But I've got to give her, I like that she's doing the mile and something different. Like, she doesn't want to just repeat last year. That's boring. So work on her strength. But I was thinking, oh, she can go a lot faster. I'd like to see her splits from that 437. But a lot faster. I mean, we go four seconds per 400 faster, and we're still not in it for the win in this race. You know? And by the way, the 1,000 time trial sounds impressive, but if you run like a, four, a 234 1,000, that's only like a 424, 425 mile equivalent. They ran faster than that, Robert. Just saying, world leader was 234 change. They might have run 234 flat. All right. Well, I tend, he also, given he also told me that they're both very fit right now, I tend to think that they're going to be in shape to challenge. Well, Ellie will be in shape to challenge the American record. Yeah. Do you think Mo think, honestly, when I initially saw her name on the start list, I was like, damn, I kind of was hoping she'd see, she run the 800, she could break the American record, she could race RJ Wilson. Maybe RJ Wilson's back to normal this year. You know, they have a good showdown there, but. I've come around to her, the idea of her in the mile. I like when the great athletes test their limits. They try something new. They find new challenges. And also, it's just interesting. Like, I want to know why she's running this race. She was scheduled to run the 800 until after she ran this mile at Texas A&M. So was she so confident? Did she feel so good that she figured, wow, I'm actually a good miler. I want to see what I can do against the best. Like, what was her mindset in switching to this event? I'm very interested to know. We'll hear on Friday at the press conference from a thing, Mo. But that's fascinating to me. She made this decision to switch off to this mile. I don't think it's that. I think it's just, if it was me, I would want to run the 800. I wouldn't want to, like, you're going to be running it for the rest of eternity all summer long. Like, I'd want to wait to that and have some doubt, you know, work on my weakness. Um, but I was praising her. Whereas, it's kind of funny because if the 800 had been first and we had women's 800, we'd preview that first. I was going to start with a joke. The reality is, John, why is she doing this? Is She's ducking Athing Mo. Athing, I mean, she's ducking, ducking Ajay Wilson. Ajay Wilson never loses at the Armory. She's had six straight wins at the Melrose. Seven, if you count it, when she was running under a banned substance, by the way, folks, all of you with the vitriol of Shelby Houlihan. Don't forget that, I'll be sh- that Ajay Wilson... I ran an American record with an illegal drug in her system. Well, the American record didn't count. Neither did the win. So she didn't get to keep the time. But yeah, she never loses at this meet. She usually shows up and runs the American record, RJ, when she runs here. So she's now in the 800. It's still You've still got a good field. Natoya Gould is in there. Nia Aikens. Actually, I'm not sure. Did Danny Mackey say that Nia Aikens had COVID well then? I'm not sure if she's running or not. But then you got the high school stars, Sophia Guerrerin and Rasheen Willis. I feel like the indoor national record, I believe it's 201 
71 for high schoolers. That's got to be in danger to go. And also, oh, Michaela Meyer, who was fourth at the Olympic trials last year in the 800, she's in here too. So I think we could see a high school record and we're going to see a good showdown between Wilson, Gould, and Meyer. 2178, I'm sorry, is the high school national record by Sammy Watson. So I was off by seven hundredths. Speaking of Meyer, am I allowed to read a text that I got this week from podcast listener? Site, visitor. Well, delete this if you want to after the fact. Ben won't let Ben. I assume that refers to Ben Lanana. Won't let Michaela Meyer talk with agents until her eligibility is over. It's a text I got from a well-connected person. Be interested to see what she does here, but I'm really interested to see what Wilson does because she was not the same last year. I know she made the Olympic team, but it took like perfect tactical acumen. I mean, she was. This is a normal front runner, and she was willing to like just run even pace and come from like sixth or seventh and sneak her way onto the team. But she kept telling us something was off, and she would never tell us what it was. So I hope a she looks like her old self here, and b she finally tells us what was wrong. Like I get people have some medical privacy if there's something we don't want to know, but I also feel like come on, you're a public figure. We're we're big boys and girls; we can deal with it. Well, it might not be medical, Robert. I mean. It could be anything. What if she's in a domestic abuse relationship or something like that? I'm not saying she is, but like, if it's that, it's her prerogative not to share it with the media. So, yeah, I'd like to know what was going on, but some things you really want to keep private. I'm not saying we should be covering up domestic abuse here, but maybe it's a topic that she has gone to the authorities about. Like, I don't know. I'm spe- totally speculating, but there are some things you want to keep private. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's rare when I felt like we should strike something John said because we're not insinuating that at all. It's just an example, a poor analogy I feel like he threw out. This is a huge race for her. Hey, what sort of Ajay Wilson are we going to see this year? Although she did open in sub two last year. It was an outdoor race in Austin, 158.9. But she should be challenged. Her sort of nemesis, Atoya Ghoul, is in this race who was looking great last year at those Olympics. Won her semifinal heat and then bombed out in the final, getting last place. But she's usually ready to run. Uh, I see the races being between them. I mean, Michaela Meyer could do something. Danny Mackey was, he was very bullish on Nia Akins. She's never broken two, but he's like, look, she would have been a factor in those Olympic trials final, but she fell in the semis and didn't get advanced. No, she fell in the final. Remember, she almost wiped out a thing Mo. A thing Mo. That's kind of why a thing Mo took off and front ran it, is because she got tangled up and with Nia Aikens going down. What? We had a chance to rerun a whole race and didn't do it. Robert's dream denied once again. Yeah, two years in a row in the Olympic Trials 800 final because we had the whole disaster in 2016 with Brenda Martinez and Alicia Montano. That race should have been rerun, and then. Martinez would have made the eight team, not the 15. So somebody else would be an Olympian. Morgan Euseny would be an Olympian in the 1500, Robert. Oh, no, not Morgan Euseny. Morgan Euseny was in a spot to make it, but Amanda Eccleston was the one who got outleaned by Brenda Martinez. But maybe the race goes differently if Martinez isn't in there. So who knows? All right. Last race of the day. The men just want to make a mile. It's going to be a good one. Clayton Murphy, he's an Olympic medalist. Nick Willis, also an Olympic medalist. 
going for his sub four, trying to make it 20 years in a row. Hobbs Kessler, Ollie Hoare, and then you've got the 2021 Olympic medalist in the the 1500 meters, Josh Kerr of the Brooks Beast. Craig Engels is in there as well. Johnny Gregoric. I'm excited for this. I mean, looking at this field, the two best milers in here, based on last year, certainly, were Ollie Hoare and Josh Kerr. I tend to think those are going to be the guys battling it out. I did talk to Craig Engels earlier this week, though. He's got a chip on his shoulder after how last year played out. He said he's rededicated himself to his training after contemplating retirement. Sounds like he's pretty fit right now. But Josh Curry's best is better than Craig Ingalls' best. We saw that in college. We've seen that the last four years. So, and we know Hoare is pretty fit right now based on that 5K he ran in Boston. I tend to think it'll be between those two. What do you, how do you guys see this race? Have we ever seen Murphy, Ingalls, et cetera, in supreme indoor shape? Like, we know that Ollie Hoare is in monster shape. 1309 in December. This guy's a 332 guy. Uh, I would, he's my pick because I know that he's in shape. I don't know about Josh Kerr. What did Danny Mackey say about him yesterday? Um, so I'm really interested to see the battle for the win. Can the Amer? that's number one. Can the Americans keep it close? I think Willis will break four. And then how does Hobbs Kessler look? You know, this is just a lot of fun storylines. But I'm pumped to see that Ingalls, John, said that he was into it. He was devastated after finishing fourth at the trials. Was going to quit. Again, that's the new feature we have up on Let's Run. Poll of the day. It's only up for one day. So unless you're a VIP supporting club member, you cannot see the past polls. So we want to get you guys and gals in the habit of coming every single day. Is that true? Yeah. I see right now a thing mo, the poll right now for a thing mo. What are you talking about? Well, it's only supposed to be up there for the one day. If we want to get people to come to Let's Run every day. That's why these features, Jonathan writes, I'm going to put them up for one day. Then they're going to the paywall. So Let's Run needs to become a daily habit. It's just like a newspaper. The difference is that the newspaper, you have to pay here. Let's Run is the daily habit for our podcast listeners. But who do you think was the better miler last year? Ollie Hoare or Josh Kerr? Josh Kerr, I mean, Ollie Hoare raced more times. He raced on the Diamond League races, but Josh Kerr, every time he raced, he was really good, and he was the bronze medalist at the Olympics. So, yeah, Josh Kerr. Incorrect, John. According to the Bible of the sport, Ollie Hoare was the fourth best miler in the world last year, and Josh Kerr, number seven. So are you contending that the Let's Run.com rankings are better than the Bible? The Let's Run.com rankings had Kerr fourth, and we had Oliver Hoare eighth. I mean, Josh Kerr won. All right, Josh Kerr had two performances that I would take ahead of anything Ollie Hoare did last year. He won the British trials, which is one of the most competitive trials on earth. And he was bronze medal at the Olympics. That's better than anything. Those two races are better than anything Ollie Hall did last year. But do we need our stars racing more in the big meets, John? I guess it's like tennis rankings. Maybe they're going more with the tennis ranking thing. Well, yeah, I'd like to see Josh Kerr run more Diamond Leagues, but 
you know, hard to argue with the results. All right, how about this? Who's going to be the top American in this race? Clayton Murphy, uh, US 800 meter champion from last year. Hobbs Kessler, who ran 334 as a high schooler last, last year. Let's just remember that. Jari Gagarik, 349 miler. Henry Wynn, I think he was fifth at the trials, 351 miler. Sam Pragles ran 350. Colby Alexander, he was the trials finalist. And then Craig Engels, who was the 2019 US Indoor Outdoor 800 champ. I think if I had to pick, I'd go Engels, but do you guys agree? I think I'd go Engels, but what if Hobbs Kessler beats him? I mean, then it's really changing of the guard. I was sort of talking about it's a big race for Nico Young in the 3K. Hobbs Kessler's already delivered at the U.S. level, but I don't have huge expectations on his first race in a mile of the year at such a young age. But, oh man, I feel like if he really, really produces, I'll just forget about the rest of the American milers for the year. I'll probably forget about Kerr and Hoare in this race. They, those guys might beat him by three seconds, but if he's third and tough American, Kessler's probably going to be the story. I said forget about the rest of milers, with the exception of Cole Hawker, obviously. Yeah. The interesting thing is, so I talked to Ron Warhurst. I was like, what are you kind of expecting from him? He's like, well, we're not going to run a ton indoors. They ran one... 3k last week they just kind of wanted to close it quickly he was happy with how that went he said he thought training in Flagstaff in the full where he took classes at NAU was good for him he upped his mileage built his strength up a little bit he likes what he's seen from him this year but you know he's like look I, we we know we're not ready to run with Kerr and Hoare right now what I expect to see from Kessler is he'll run you know towards the back of the pack or you know in the middle of the chase pack and he's going to close hard because we know he can close hard in these things. And it'll be like those other races we saw from last year. How many people can he mow down over the last 200? Would it be a total shock if he mows down everyone and gets third? I wouldn't be totally surprised by that. I, I still would take angles over him, but that's the blueprint for if we have an amazing... Hobbs Kessler performance is he's just sort of sitting in there. No one is trying to go like we get a breakaway up front sitting in the pack and then he tries to blow everyone away the last lap or two. I think he's going to do that. Close well. Run between 354 and 356. I mean, Yared Nagus went 159 in the 354 last week. Now, I know Nagus is probably a little bit better, but I've seen that before in this meet in the past. Actually, wasn't it Ingles that did that a couple years ago? He was in like, the, he got third, but he was like never in a factor. Somebody did it. Or Ingles tried to run. Someone actually, maybe I'm completely wrong, but a lot of times, like, there's a couple guys just really going for it up front, and there's everybody else kind of running four minute pace with a big kick, and they, you know, finish third or fourth. But we know that you guys know the curves in shape. Question is, where does he go from here? What a great talk, Danny Mackey. Video of that in the show notes. And if you want it as a podcast, go to letsrun.com slash subscribe. Become a letsrun.com VIP today. By the way, also go to shop.letsrun.com. Folks, they've been sold out for probably a year. The 159.40 asterisk shirts are in. 
We have a podcast listener who is also a top, top doctor. This guy's a genius. He's like Steve Jobs. He likes to wear the same outfit to work every day. He wears the 15940 shirt underneath his scrubs every day at work. He says it's a conversation starter. Super comfortable, super soft. He says, I'll buy 20 of them. They're back in stock now, folks. If this genius wears them, you should too. And if you join the supporters club, you can get it for free. I don't blame them. It's super comfortable shirt and definitely a conversation starter. So smart man, smart man. Well, Kerr ran 329 in the Olympic final last year to get that bronze medal. Danny Mackey on, in our talk said, yeah, I think he was in about 327 shape. Nick Willis in our podcast last month said something about Kerr being in 327 shape. And for those of you under the age of 24? Wow. Like, you could almost be... Th- if you're like 35, you have no record of the 1,500-meter world record being set. It's 326.00 by Hisham El from 1998. But when Danny said... Josh was in 327 shaped. That prompted the question. In my book, if you can run 327, you're pretty close to 326. Then do you start thinking about the world record? Is that crazy to think that Josh Kerr could challenge the 1500 meter world record? Is that something you even think about? Yeah, we've talked about it. We're not like, we don't have, uh, it would make sense to think that something get like two and a half, three seconds quicker. So like, that's a logical thing. I know what's attached to that time as being a world record, but it's, it's, he's, and I'm glad he's like this because it's more in line with me. Like he'd rather continue trying, making these teams, winning national titles, global, global titles. Like, you know, if the medal, if the, if there's a time that we can uh, really sit down or like focus around trying to do that, that'd be super fun. But we've talked about it. Like, is that possible? And so, yeah, we, 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 he thinks it is. I, I think he's right. So what do you guys think? Josh Kerr, world record holder in the 1500 meters. I like the way they're thinking. I mean, you want to keep improving. But come on, guys. The, there's one small problem to that logic. And it's the fact that Josh Kerr is not the best miler in the world. There's a guy named J.K. Ringerbritson who's much better than him. So, if Kerr can run two or three seconds faster, so can Ingebrigtsen. So, Kerr better get there first. They better set this up, like, in March. So, really, if I was Nike, Josh Kerr's not going to want to hear this. They should pay Kerr $50,000 to rabbit Jacob Ingebrigtsen to the world record. There you have it first. Think outside the box. Well, you just stick Timothy Chariot in the race and Chariot runs his normal style and Ingebrigtsen sits on him and you have a rabbit for like 1,400 meters. Well, yeah, the other part from that conversation that we didn't hear well then is that Josh probably isn't going to have many opportunities to break the world record because there's championships all the way through 2025 over the summer. There's also a Commonwealth Games and a Europeans for him this summer if he wants to run those as well, which, which he could... He'd be the fake. Well, actually, would he be the favorite? He wouldn't be the favorite in the Commonwealth Games if Chariot won, run it. But you, know, you can win those those two depending on who shows up. 
And, you know, Monaco, he didn't run Monaco last year. So that's really the place where you're going to do it. And you don't have that many cracks at trying to break the 1500 world record a year, every year, especially if you're really focusing on the championship. So that might be like, I don't think, I think Robert's point is also important that Ingebrigtsen's better. I don't think Josh Coe would break the world record, but you also got to think limited opportunities as well. Can I apologize to Josh Coe? I just looked up the stats. He was only 0.04 behind Chariot. Was Chariot letting up? Did he almost get him at the line? He was only 0.73 behind Ingebrigtsen. But John, no, it doesn't happen to Monaco because there's going to be other guys in that race that are better than him. He's not going to be winning Monaco. He'd have to do his own race early in the season or set something up to do it. But if you get that type of fitness and you think it's legit, you go for it. I mean, you know, I guess. Danny also, he's not a big fan of the time trial type stuff in Europe, he said. He said it's not good for the sport. Okay, then why are we talking about the world record? Because that's what hard-hitting journalists do. I see. I like this Danny guy more and more all, all the time. Like these, the, the, the time trials, we get the same strategy every race. I'm not saying everything should be a boring jog fest, but I don't like it in the marathons. Danny was fascinating. John, there was one question we didn't ask Danny that we should have. Any ideas? No. What did we miss? Danny said after the Olympics last year, he had to go to the hospital. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we didn't follow up with why. So it's, there's a little dynamic, like everything's remote and then John and I don't want to cut each other off. So I think sometimes like we're thinking like, oh, is this John's question or mine? And then we each have a next question prepared. And I'm like, what? But he said it was just like, you're just all in coaching. But the other thing is like, Danny wasn't even in Tokyo. Maybe the weird hours were throwing him off because I almost had to go to the Olympic hospital after the 2016 Olympics, but I was sleeping three to four hours a day for a week and a half. So just, it was a great talk. Um, I really enjoyed it. Video in the show notes. Yeah. Now you're making me have regrets. Well, then, because that is the one question I wanted to follow up on, but a conversation we kind of moved on from that topic. It would have been a little strange, but yeah, he, he mentioned it. I didn't follow up. That's all, that's on us, people. We apologize. We're not perfect. Yeah. So Robert wanted to quit the sport at one point. Thought about it, and one of the two coaches in the world I call a genius, Dan Path, said, "You're really good at this. This part. Of, this is part of it. Dealing with sort of setbacks." So, all right. That's it for Milrose. It's gonna be terrific. If you're in New York and you want to say hello, just. Say hello. We'll be at the post-race party sponsored by Evil Twin yeah. Brewing. So They've got tickets, people. You guys were asking, how do they pay for this? Well, people buy seats to the Milrose Games. They've been a sponsor of the podcast. Maybe we should have led with this. You can still get tickets. If you're a track and field fan in New York, like you're, we're taking away the card, your track and field card, if you don't show up this year. And I imagine a lot of fans haven't gotten the chance to see some of these stuff. I mean, I guess if you're a local New Jersey area you might have seen a thing Mo when she was in high school, that sort of thing. But you know, unless you were at the trials last year, you may not have seen the thing Mo get to race. You may not have seen Cole Hawker get to race. It's your chance to see the next generation of American track and field. Hobbs Kessler up close and personal. I think it's a great opportunity. Breaking news report: You guys aren't going to like this. 
I was planning on Saturday. I was really pumped with this post-race brew party right in the infield. I'm like, Weldon and John, we're always the last people to leave the press box. They'll be there for five hours. The party will be over by the time they finish the recaps. I'm like, I want them to have a good time, socialize with the masses. I was going to do all the recaps from home, tell my wife I needed to work. But then I forgot my parents are coming into town. So I won't be able to do that. I think what we should do is do no verbal recap. I mean, excuse me, no written recap. We just record like a video show for like 15 minutes after the thing. It will take 15 minutes versus four hours. Wouldn't you think? Robert, I'm not sure if that qualifies as breaking news, but it's not a bad idea. I do kind of like writing up some of the stuff after the meet, but you know, I also enjoyed uh, post-race video shows after the Olympics and after the trials last year. So, I don't know. That could be a possibility. TBD whether we have a post-race live show, but if you want to hear all the scoop from the pre-race press conferences on Friday, join the Supporters Club. Friday 15 will be done right after the press conference on Friday. Let's run.com slash subscribe. All right, last thing I wanted to talk about before we end this episode of the podcast is this stunning 600-meter performance. Will Sumner from Canton, Georgia, he ran a 600 indoors in Chicago over the weekend, and he ran 115.58. That time is two full seconds faster than the previous high school record, which was set by Strymar Livingston 10 years ago. I got the, actually, I was tipped off to this by Dan Mikulski, friend of the podcast and also the fourth placer in the steeplechase at the Olympic trials last year. And I was looking at the video, I'm like, this, how does this make sense? He looked so easy at the end of the race. He didn't even look tired. He destroyed the record. I was like, we've seen a bunch of fake results recently. I'm like, is this fake? But no, he's actually a pretty good short, you know, Long sprinter. He's run 21.55 and 47.01. He has run 151 for 800. So, and he broke the 500 meter national record the week before. So, it does look like legit. It's legit. He's only a, he's committed to Georgia, which is not really known for the mid distance program. But I was stunned by this run. I was really impressed. He, he looks like a humongous talent. Robert, what do you think when you saw this? It was super impressive. We have the video in the week that was. It wasn't like he went out like 47 and hung on either. He was running more like an 800 guy. But I'm always a little hesitant to hype the 800. What's up? Does Obia Moore ring a bell to anybody? Well, he was a 400 phenom. Oh, excuse me. What's the guy's name, Weldon? I'm helping him. Help me out. Long time national record. Michael leader. Granville? Correct. I just think that sometimes, for some reason, there's a lot of people that are super fast in the 800 in high school on the men's side and don't improve. It reminds me of women's distance runners in general in high school. A lot of them don't improve. For some reason, a lot of the top 800 guys, it's just harder to improve. I, one of my top, top recruits at Cornell, I coached him one year, but he didn't run any faster in college than he did in high school. I think it's because you don't need that much endurance to run the 800. So if you have good natural endurance, you can get by in the speed. 
but I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's very impressive. I mean, this is what there's only four people in the 800 indoors that have ever in high school that have ever broken 150 in the U S but yet the the national record is 147.67, right? Yeah. By Josh Howey. Well, what I did think is interesting though. Okay. So Sumner ran 115.58 as recently as 2015. Kaz Loxham set the American record back in 2015. He ran 115.33. So the overall American record, he, he would have been very close to it just seven years ago. Now, there have been a flurry of times in that event since then. People have been running it more often. And now Donovan Brazier owns the American at World Best at 113.77. But well, a lot of pros will be pretty satisfied to run 115.58. That is a really good time. He's great. He's closer to Donovan Brazier's American record than he is to the old high school record. But, I mean, Josh Hoey's the perfect example. This is a guy that runs 147, 67 indoors in 2018. Here we are almost four years later. What is his PR? Does anybody know what Josh Hoey's PR is? He's made a lot of money from Adidas, but he's a complete afterthought at this point. Is it still 147? It is. Now he's improved to 147.26. This is indoor. This is actually his outdoor PR. It's better than his indoor PR from 2020. is better than his outdoor PR. Well, it's interesting, Robert, because we've had some phenoms in the 800 and the women's 800, and they don't all pan out, but. I mean, Ajay Wilson, I think Mo, I think Mo, remember she won the 600 at USA's three years ago, and that was a huge deal. And she ended up totally delivering. RJ Wilson, the same thing. It's, I don't know, maybe I'm just cherry-picking the examples. Donovan Brazier's the fourth fastest high schooler ever outdoors in the 800, so there will always be exceptions. But yeah, I don't know. I just I would say congrats to Will and great run. I'm, I'm excited to see if he's a 400 guy or an 800 guy or what we get from him moving forward. All right, guys, I think that's about it. I hope you're all set for the Milrose games. Anything else before we sign off? Yeah. I was checking the podcast email because I don't know how to access the text still, John. Robert says we're getting text. You can now text us, 1-844-LET'S-RUN. You can leave us a voicemail. We've said the next text, the next voicemail we use on the air, we will give away a free pair of on shoes. This is not some sponsored plug. The email is from Ryan Winkle. He says, what do you guys think of Helen O'Beary signing with On? They already made some big moves for the OAC, but is this a sign they're making a big commitment to becoming a force when they go after an elite African-level runner? I'm sure they're out there, but I can't think of any high-level East African sponsored by other one, someone other than Nike or Adidas. Do you see this along with Puma's investment and Nike's big cuts as the beginning as a balance of power in the sport? Or do you expect the Diamond Leagues and World Marathon Majors to continue to be dominated with the athletes in the same standard Nike Adidas kits every year? I did see this as a big deal. Like, on obviously the company has been growing. They've been successful the last few years. Their pro group had a lot of success last year under Dathan Ritzenhain. 
So that's encouraging them to invest even more in the sport. But Ryan's right. I mean, I could, I know Adidas and Nike have a lot of those African stars, but I'm trying to think of other brands. Like, I feel like it's mainly just those two. And Obiri, one of the best runners of our generation. Yeah, she might be on the downside of her career on the track, but she's still going to run some marathons and people are going to be excited about that. She did medal. I mean, she still got the silver medal at the Olympics last year in the 5,000. So saying she's on the downside of her career, you know, maybe that's unfair to her. She's the reigning world cross country champion. She's a two-time world champion on the track. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a big deal that she signed with on. And I'm interested to see if, yeah, if Puma follows suit or if other brands follow suit or if this is just, you know, one one athlete in an ocean of Adidas and Nike. But I guess John doesn't know. Maybe Robert doesn't either. I think Ryan may have missed the lead. Everybody may have missed the lead on this one. Do you guys realize who Lenobiri's coach is going to be? Say that again? Do you realize who Helen O'Berry's coach is going to be? Well, her coach had been Ricky Sims. Who is it now? Dathan Ritzenheim. She's moving to Boulder, Colorado, according to the press release, and will be coached by the great Dathan Ritzenheim as a member of the On Athletics Club. Wait, she's joining the team? Wow. No, I didn't realize. That's breaking news. That's like, I didn't realize that. You got to send me that well then. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. Well, Ryan emailed us 43 minutes ago. The press release is about an hour ago. So, big news. Yeah, because that is a top... I mean, I don't know. R- Ricky's also her agent, or was her agent. I, I assume he's still representing her. But it's kind of interesting to... She had a lot of success there. And did she notice that On had something going or she was out of contract and on approached her and then she checked it out but if someone that good she's she's easily the best athlete they've got in that team i mean and she decided to go out there and run for them I mean, it's really interesting i'd also like to know how much they're paying her like maybe nike just was like you know we're gonna give you a, you want a silver silver medal you're really good but we're not gonna pay you a time moving forward because you're in your 30s now and she got a big check from on i don't know John, money always talks. Like, let's not pretend what's going yeah. on here. Yeah. Helena Burry is tremendous, but she had already said, oh, look, I'm moving up to the roads, right? How good of a road runner is she going to be on the track? She's sort of been eclipsed. I mean, she's pretty much done it all in the sport, except for the Olympic gold. But gold medals on the track, gold medals across country, two Olympic silvers. And I assume for her to get her to move and everything, on's like, we're going to pay you a bunch of money, but we want you to move to Boulder and be part of this team. Because it, 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 it the, on's a billion dollar company. They're valued as billions of dollars. So they have a lot of money to throw around now. And this is going to give them even more credibility. Wait, wait a second, wait a second. I'm reading this press release. It says, Hailing from Kisi, Kenya, Obiri and her family will be moving to Boulder, Colorado to continue her training. 
with a warm welcome from the local on community, including the Boulder-based On Athletics Club and world-renowned OAC head coach, Dathan Ritzenhain. Oh, I guess it says, I'm eager to train with the team. I just want to know, like, I guess I should reach out and meet through 100%. I, I think it would be weird to move to Boulder and not be a member of the team, but I just wanted to confirm 100% here that she is a member of the team and being coached by Ritz. I think you guys are making too much of nothing. Not nothing, but I think, look, I think it's great. There's a lot of shoe brands out there trying to have teams and clubs and sponsorships. It drives the money up for everybody. I mean, Craig Ingalls' Olympic prospects are way, way worse now than they were five years ago, but he's making way, way more money because you guys talk about on. The market cap is $8 billion. You know, Under Armour wants to get into running. Their market cap is also $8 billion. Puma, market cap, $13 billion. So there's only so many runners to go around that make more money. To me, that's more interesting if she's coming here is how soon will she be an American citizen if she lives here? Oh my God, that's what Robert's always obsessed about when Africans move to the United States. That's the other thing. American citizen, can their kids win the Olympics in 2045, 2044? Wow, on is as big as Under Armour in terms of market cap? That's pretty amazing. Well, thanks, Ryan, for the email. It was a good discussion there. Weldon, thanks for checking the email. Ryan's got to get a free pair of on shoes. Only appropriate. So, only appropriate. I'm a little bit upset that John hasn't talked about the six foot five, 225 pound, 16 year old that ran 20.79 indoors for 200 last week. Nicholas Harbour, he's a five star prospect in football, also has been an age group star since track and field. I talked about him extensively in the week that was. This happens regularly. And most companies, like the CEOs, respect it. The co founders, they do something and, you know, the peons beneath them just, yes, sir. How quickly do you want it done, sir? Instead, I write my week that was recap and John calls me up regularly now. No, I do not want another Usain Bolt comparison. That's ridiculous. I said, John, I'm not the one making the comparison. Someone else has already made it. I'm just providing the stats. So. John got very upset. Thought it was. John, you just think it's lazy? It's not lazy because it took me a lot of time to find the stats. This guy was actually one hundredth of a second faster than Saint Bolt at fourteen. He's now significantly slower at fifteen and sixteen. It is lazy because that's the only thing anyone ever has to say about these athletes. When someone runs a really fast time at a young age, now, grind, he is kind of built like Bolt, six five, two twenty five. But everyone's like, oh, let's compare him to Usain Bolt. No. Let's, you know, have a different discussion. This guy's a defensive end and he's running 20.79 at 200 and he's a junior. That's the crazy thing to, for me. He's a five-star football recruit. And yet he's running this crazy time. He didn't have blocks. Not true. Not true. He did have blocks. No, he started from a crouching start, but he didn't have blocks, Robert. I s what do you mean not true? There's video. He didn't have blocks in the video. I guess you took that out of my article. People were saying on Twitter they didn't have blocks, and I saw him go to crouch start. I, I got confused. You're correct. No one in the race was allowed to use blocks, apparently. But he did do a crouch turn. It was an interesting story, definitely. I was excited by it, but I just don't like the bolt comparisons for every single 
kid who runs something. You know, reserve those for like Arian Knight who actually deserves bolt comparisons. All right, is that it for this week? See you Friday, everybody.